You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the work on the cross that we can live in fellowship and friendship with you. Uh, we pray for this morning that you would use the, the teaching from your word uh, to strengthen us and to bring about a renewal of the mind and transform our thinking. And we love you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good being with you guys. Uh, My name's Ryan. For those of you that are new, welcome to North Valley. Glad that you are with us today. Um, I wanted to start with a a little update on our resource initiative. Uh, Maybe if you were not here last week, uh, we announced the the results. And uh, the good news is, is that we came together as a church uh, to help uh, renovate some campus projects and buildings with uh, one-time gifts and three-year pledges. And through that commitment, we raised more than $500,000 towards that effort. Yeah. So that's really cool. I just want to say thank you. We're going to, we're going to be working on that, getting all those projects going. And uh, I'm really proud of you guys as a church to be able to do that. If, if you want to still participate in it and didn't, you can just let me know. And we'd love to help get you a part of that, uh, that renovation experience. Um, I want to tell you just a couple of stories real quick about how giving uh, impacts people's lives. How many of you guys remember Tommy? Uh, Tommy was the guy we did his testimony at the Easter services. You, you might have remembered his stories pretty uh, uh, public here in our church. But the cool thing about with Tommy's story is that when he first came to the church a couple years ago, several years ago now, at the movie theaters when we were over there, uh, the first Sunday he came, he said, I really liked the, the music and I really wasn't a fan of the message. Uh, he was far from God at that time and uh, ends up becoming a believer and getting baptized here in the church and all that. But he said, I, did, I didn't like the message, I liked the music. But the second week I came, I came back because I was excited about the music, but I heard the message and it changed my life. And the story goes on as we were in a resource initiative and for the first time ever giving to a local church, he went above and beyond. It was, we were in a great time of recession and it was a big deal for Tommy to give. He gave 20 bucks uh, a week it was, 20 bucks a week. And uh, that was a big deal. Tommy told me when we were doing the interview for the Easter testimony, he said, I'd like to share my testimony about how God's used giving in my life. And I said, well, that's on, that Easter, we're, that's not the best time, but I'll weave it in and share with the church what God's done in your life. So here it is. So he begins to give, never given before, and his business was in a slump. And Tommy tells me today that God's he feels like God has honored his faithfulness to give and his company has grown exponentially uh, to where it's the most productive um, business. He's been able to hire a bunch of people and he's just thrilled. And the story goes is that God works in mysterious ways. Uh, For me and my family, I'll tell you a personal story real quick, is uh, before when we were challenging everybody for the resource initiative, we told everybody, I, I said, there's something that you might have to let go of in order to make a financial commitment above and beyond your regular giving. For me and my family, we'd made the decision to delay the purchase of a new vehicle. And uh, the reason was, is we just couldn't, didn't want to strap ourselves with too much financial pressure. And uh, so we went ahead and gave our biggest and best one-time gift that we could make above and beyond our regular giving, our three-year commitment, and we just kind of, I kind of like settled in like, okay, Lord, this is where we're at. 
we made that commitment. And the cool story is, is one of my family members found out, and I share this with you to celebrate kind of God's faithfulness in this. His family member came out and said, Ryan, we want to make that purchase uh, possible. And so guys, I got a new Toyota Tacoma truck I'm proud of. Yeah. And I'm humbled. I drive it around like just as with a sweet humility. I've never had a vehicle like that. I'm just so thankful to the Lord for my family and, and how God works. And so I want to encourage you in your giving and trusting the Lord and see how he's going to work. He, you know, somebody said to me after the service, you can never outgive God. And uh, God's a giver. And so I just want to encourage you in that. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the passage again in Philippians 4, 8. And uh, we're, uh, we're talking about the thought life. Henry Ford said it like this, thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably the reason why so people engage in it. Thinking is hard work. The mind is like a muscle. I can think back to some of the best messages I've ever preached, and I can think about the mind commitment I made to the message. And uh, I can think about some of the greatest work that I've ever done is when I really put my mind to work. My faith commitment came to emotionally first as an emotional response to, I need help. My life's a train wreck. I need Jesus. About a year and a half, two years later, I'm starting to scramble because my life's not a train wreck. And I was curious and thinking maybe I made a dumb decision, impulsive, is my faith valid? I dedicate the mind to study world religions in comparison to Jesus, and my mind convinced me this was the best decision I ever made. Thinking is hard work. You need to do it. Um, You know, when we're in this series called The Transformational Thinking, Thoughts That Lead to Success, the best life is the Christian life. And I would argue if you live in line with your God-given design, you will feel God's best in your life. You will sense God's best in your life. Um, The reality is, is we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts that go through our mind a day. It's like a huge flock of birds flying through your mind every single day. My question is, is what are you thinking about? What do you get worried about? Our research says that Dr. Walter Cavert reported a survey on worry. How many of you worry a lot? Raise your hand, worry warts. Worry warts arise. There you go. That uh, indicated a survey on worry and indicated that only 8% of the things that people actually worry about are legitimate. How many of you, we call these chicken littles, you know, the sky is falling. They're always worried about something. Worry can produce actually deep levels of anxiety. It leads to depression, can lead to thoughts of suicide. It affects your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health. It's not good. Jesus said, don't worry. It's not worth it. The thoughts that you think 8% of the people that worry are thinking about things that really aren't even true. There's 92% of the thoughts are either imaginary thoughts, imagining what could happen, thinking of the worst thing that possibly could happen. They're involving matters of which people had no control of. And let me tell you, Satan wants to have a heyday in your thought life, always keeping you in fear, always keeping you anxious, always keeping you discouraged, always keeping you that. The greatest battle in your Christian life is in the mind. 
How do you take care of your mind? How the, the mind is the greatest Christian resource ever. There is no greater resource than the mind. Some of you have polluted your minds with bad, bad images, bad content, bad truth, false truth, false things that are untrue, ungodly, unwarranted. In 1988, there was an, uh, you've heard of the Exxon Valdez. It was the, um, in Alaska coastline, the world's worst, or the country's worst environmental disaster. 11 million gallons of crude oil poured into the ocean, contaminated, and killed off all sorts of plant life and animal life. 150 eagles died, 1,000 sea otters died, 100,000 birds, and people who made their living in fishing industry lost over $100 billion dollars there was 1,200 miles of contaminated coastline. My argument is to you is that your mind is like the sea. The crude oil that infects the sea and those kind of oil spills are like toxic thoughts. And they can destroy and damage you. The enemy ultimately wants to take you out. When you hear people say stuff like, I don't feel like I'm worth living anymore, that's a thought from the enemy. I'm no good. I'm just a goofball. Nobody loves me. I'm unlovable. I'm unforgivable. Those are thoughts from the enemy. And the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to think about a certain way. But in order to get there, I want to do a case study on truth. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, verse 28 through 38, and let's try to clean up the mind. Let's go to the source of truth. Jesus said he is the truth. So in, in John chapter 18, verse 28 through 38, is kind of the backstage, behind the scenes um, conversation between Pilate, the Roman governor, and Jesus. And Jesus is on trial. If you want to say it in a, think of a, in a clever way, truth is on trial because Jesus is the truth. So I'm just going to read through this and then we'll get to the most philosophical question that's ever been asked, been repeated for centuries and centuries. Verse 28 of John chapter 18, and then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, which is a powerful religious leader who's very corrupt, to the governor's headquarters, that would be Pontius Pilate. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. And so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? He's asking this question. This is Jesus's sixth trial. He's been through religious trials, civil trials. Pilate's already seen him. What are, you, what are you bringing against Jesus? And they answered him, if this man were, man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. In other words, this is a religious matter, not a legal matter with Rome. Pilate didn't want anything to do with it. The Jews said to them, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And that's true. It wasn't lawful. The Jews at that time previously had had the, 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 the uh, right to put anybody to death that was blaspheming, and they would utilize capital punishment of the crucifixion. Rome inter got involved and said, no more. It's only our right to execute people via cru crucifixion. So, what do the Jews want to do? And the commentator writes, this was to fill the words that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. 
Jesus predicted his death. Verse 33, Pilate says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to them, Are you king of the Jews? That would have gotten Jesus crucified if he claimed to be king. Jesus answered, Do you say this or on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? He's being sarcastic. He says, and then your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose I was born and for the purpose for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice Pilate said to him here's the famous line what is truth What is truth how would you define truth if somebody asked you on the street when they are asking questions about Christianity and you say, man, it's the truth, then they say, what is truth? Truth is, from a theological level, truth is what reflects a factual or spiritual reality. Some thinkers view truth as purely intellectual categories, namely as the affirmations of what is. Hence, truth becomes correct assertions or factual statements. There is truth. In recent times, certain thinkers have suggested that truth is subjective, relative, or pluralistic. If it's true for you, it's true. Viewed from a theological perspective, truth is grounded in the being and the will of the triune God. That means the Trinity. Truth is, in other words, from a biblical perspective, a theological perspective, truth is in who God is. In God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You've got a program, you notice I wrote down the foundation from a biblical standpoint of what truth is. Furthermore, the theologian says, hence, whatever reflects God's own being and will is truth. Furthermore, Jesus Christ is the truth, and in that he is the revelation of God. So, what is the truth that the Apostle Paul talks to us about. Philippians 4.8, let me introduce this passage that we're spending so much time on over the next uh, five, five weeks or so. Um, the passage in Philippians 4.8 is perhaps the most encouraging passage that Leslie and I will look at when we're in a time of discouragement or doubt or we're questioning things. It says this, finally, brothers, finally refers back to the closing of what he's already written about in chapter one, two, three, okay? He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything, excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The Apostle Paul is perhaps the greatest theologian that's ever lived. Uh, he's written more about the work of Jesus Christ than anybody else. He definitely, in his own time in the first century, could debate with philosophers, scholars, uh, rabbis, religious leaders, you name it. He says that we're to think about these things. I would argue, if you've ever read the book of Philippians, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, there's a common theme about the thought life, the mind. Let me just take you through the 
an overview of Philippians for a moment. In chapter 1, he challenged us to think about single-mindedness. There's a phrase that he uses that we're to stand firm as Christians, one spirit and one mind. Our minds matter. We need to be united and have one mind. As believers, we need to have unity. And unity often comes as a result of the way we think. Chapter 2, he talks about the submissive mind, that our minds need to be submitted to God. He says this, let all those, or let have this mind, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he illustrates and shows the life of Jesus and how he submitted himself to God the Father. Chapter 4, or chapter 3, is the spiritual mind. Let those of us, he says, who are mature to think of this way. So the Apostle Paul is constantly challenging the mind. Why? Because the mind is the greatest Christian resource we have. Chapter 4, I would argue that he illustrates the successful mind. He gives us right here in that passage, let's look at it again, Philippians 4, 8 through 9. He gives, he gives us six virtues to think about. Six things to put into practice. And he says, as a result it's going to bring about God's peace upon your life. We'll look at these. One commentator says this about the Apostle Paul's uh, uh, exhortation to think about things. He says, this truth is in contrast to falsehood. The truth that the Apostle Paul was talking about was contrast against whatever is false. However, it is not an academic truth, but rather a lifestyle of godly living. The Apostle Paul's not talking about philosophical truth. He's talking about practical, everyday, real truth. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 9. Context tells us everything. Then he illustrates himself and gives us an example. He says, what you've learned, that's one thing. What you've received, that's two. What you've heard, that's three. And seen, number four, in me, practice these things. And what? The God of peace will be with you. What the Apostle Paul did is he brings the cookies down on the lower shelf so people can follow and emulate what, as he follows Jesus, they can follow him. Years ago, I had a a kid in my youth ministry by the name of Taylor, um, and he said to me, "Uh, Ryan, I really like what you teach about Jesus, but Jesus seems too good. And so I'd rather follow your example than Jesus's example. (laughs) And I'm like, are you saying I'm bad? Like, what are you? And he said, no, I, I'm just saying that he's, it's, I could never be like Jesus fully. And I told him, I said, Taylor, look, I, uh, whatever you see in me that's like Jesus, follow those things. But nobody's perfect. Sin has infected, affected everyone and everything. So I'm going to let you down. And I'm not Jesus. The Apostle Paul is so bold to say what you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard and seen in me, practice those things and the God of peace will be with you. But let's go back to that verse just for a moment, Philippians 4, 8. And let's go, let's go back one more time. Philippians 4, 8, notice the word whatever. And this is key in Bible study methods, okay? He says, finally, brothers. So the finally helps us to understand chapter 1, 2, 3, and now 4. He says, whatever is true, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's not like whatever, but it's like whatever. What does he mean by that? 
I would argue what the Apostle Paul means by that is whatever is in culture, whatever you're learning in your context, what you've seen truths about my life and relational dynamics, how you've seen different things of maybe arts, science, medicine, whatever you've seen that is true, and in my life, practice those things. I would argue that the whatever would include science, arts, economics, medicine, technology, education, politics. If there's truth, the Apostle Paul operated under the foundation that all truth is God's truth. Then you can search it, learn it, grow from it. I mean, think for a moment the truth that is found when individuals utilize their minds like Thomas Edison who invented the light bulb. There's truth that he knew and applied in engineering, and he exercised those things. Or the Wright brothers in aviation with the first successful flight, or Alexander Graham Bell with the telephone, or little, I didn't know this, but who invented the internet, uh, Bob Kahn and Vint Cerf. So think about those things that are true to life and the importance of utilizing the mind. Truth here, let's go back to this phrase that's on your program. Well, finally, it says, truth here is more than intellectual truth. It, refer, it refers to what is authentic, reliable, and real. The truth that you need to grow in, to immerse yourself in, is that which is authentic, reliable, and real. But as a foundation, to make the argument clear, Paul had a God-centered view of truth. The foundation of truth, God is a God of truth. He is the one true God. I listed a bunch of passages of scriptures there in your programs for you to research this throughout the week. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, He's the one true God above all other gods. He is the one and the only true God. Christ is the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. The Apostle Paul would have proclaimed Him as the fulfillment of prophecies, as the Messiah. He's the truth. He is the life. There's no other way. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So the whole Trinity is involved in the truth project. The Holy Spirit helps us with truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And the Word of God is truth. So in our remaining time today, what I want to challenge you to do is to focus on truth. How do you focus on truth? The Apostle Paul said to think about whatever is true. Number one, I would challenge you to read the truth. Reading the truth of God's Word. The ultimate authority lies in the Word of God because it is God's very words to us, affirmed in Scripture. The Proverbs tells us simply that we are to buy truth and do not sell it, buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. We're to immerse ourselves in understanding truth. My challenge to you on a practical level is wherever you find yourself in the station of life that you find yourself in, if it's medicine, technology, politics, economics, that you're to exert yourself to grow in the area of your, your field of study to grow in that area. For parents, you should learn and read truths about parenting. God's Word is the ultimate authority. For marriage, you read about the truth of marriage and what God has to say about that. But you can immerse yourself in a number of studies to find and search the truth. 
Billy Graham was once asked in college if he had any, or when he was asked in ministry, do you have any regrets looking back on your college years? And he said, I have one. They said, what is it? And he said that I didn't apply myself enough in college and I gave too much of my time to the ministry. I wish I could reverse the clock and go back and be a better student. I remember years ago when I was in business school, I, I um, was always dedicated to reading Christian books, uh, systematic theology, reading the Bible. You come over to my house on a Friday night, you would have thought I was a nerd. Just constantly was reading. And uh, I found out it was difficult to maintain that high level of reading all that great Christian literature and go to business school. And I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me and tell me that, Ryan, if you apply half of what you're applying into reading the Bible and reading systematic theology into your business calculus, you'll do better. And so I began to study more business calculus. And, and I found that that is an act of worship, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever station you find yourself in, dedicate yourself to truth. Read, learn, grow, read. Buy it, truths. Buy the wisdom, is what the writer of Proverbs says. Secondly, I want to challenge you to memorize the truth. If we're going to do what the Apostle Paul says, to focus on whatever is true, we need to memorize the truth. The psalmist says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That is, that you take passages or truth from God's word and you memorize that. Some of my best experiences have been in, in ministry is on the fly, on the go, because I have God's word in my life. I can minister in the moment. That's something that you can only do when you're memorizing scripture. Memorizing scripture also helps to combat uh, false thinking. Memorizing scripture can also be an antidote and an agent for change to clean up toxic thoughts, negative thoughts that are ungodly, unwanted, untrue. Memorizing scripture is a way that you can live the life that God wants you to live, to fight temptation, to fight sin and Satan, and live the life that God wants you to do. I challenge you to memorize Philippians 4.8. It's been a rescue verse. It's the Philippians 4.8 challenge, if you want to take it that way. But you memorize God's Word on a regular basis. Years ago, I used the topical memory system by Navigators. You can find it online and buy it. It's a system in which you can memorize Scripture, just a passage to a Scripture um, at a time. Thirdly, I challenge you to sing about truth. Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae and says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thank thankfulness in your hearts to God. The Apostle Paul wrote that because he knows the importance in an oral culture where there's not so much reading that is going on. People remember things through story, through singing. Uh, music has a powerful influence. When I have a bad day, what I listen to has to be incredible. I have to be very cautious. Um, when you listen to music, it affects your mind. The lyrics of a song are put there to affect your mind, good or bad. The rhythm of a song, when you're listening to a song, the rhythm will affect your mood. Think about it. 
when you're listening to music today, when you're driving out of here, my, my challenge to you is whatever you read, let it be true. Whatever you listen to or sing to, let it be true. This last week, my wife was out of town. She was in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, her grandmother had passed away. This was one of the most joyful Christian ladies. She was 92 years old, and uh, she passed away. And Leslie actually had a keynote spot to share about the love of Christ that she had. It was a very special, very powerful uh, time for her there and to honor uh, Mamie's life and legacy. But what was true of Mamie was that she constantly immersed herself in the truth and she constantly sang about the truth. She was a joyful person. Um, singing can bring a great level of joy and the Apostle Paul challenges us to do that. So next time, hey, when we close out here today, I better hear you sing, okay? I want to hear you guys singing. Uh, number four, I challenge you to listen to truth. The Word of God is your ultimate authority. I've said this so many times, and I hope to help cement it into your mind, is that at North Valley, we live under the authority of Scripture. We don't live above it. We're under this authority. The Apostle Paul's the, the Apostle Paul and all the other apostles um, had a, uh, a special revelation from Jesus Christ to write and to record the message of salvation and life that we had. And they challenged the readers of their day with this word. We are from God. Whoever knows God lis listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. A challenge to you is listen to what is true. If you fill your mind with things that are untrue, your behavior will change. Whatever you believe is how you'll be behave. You are responsible for your mind. It is the greatest asset that you have, and you're to use your mind for God's glory. My encouragement to you is to fill your mind with truth for supplement teaching from what you receive here at North Valley. You should listen to Preachers, teachers that preach truth. God's word is central. Jesus is uh, highlighted, celebrated, loved, and submitted to, cherished, and worshipped. Listening to truth in music and the things that you listen to. Be cautious of the lyrics that you're singing, repeating, that you're putting into your mind. It can affect your mind. Uh, recently, Pastor Joshua started to incorporate North Valley's uh, worship playlist. It's actually the number one clicked thing on our uh, newsletter every single week right now. I'm glad you're listening to it. Keep listening to it. I have friends that come to me and say, as a new believer, all I did for the first year or so was listen to Christian music, and it changed my life. Caleb's got this thing called the Caleb Challenge, where all you do is listen to Christian music for a time period. Can you find truth in other songs that are non-Christian? Yes, you can. Why? Because God is sovereign and all truth is his truth. And whenever you hear somebody else sing about truth, yesterday I was out down at the Salt River with my wife and I'm jamming out to Zach Brown Essentials. And there's some good truth in what he sings about. Some of the things he doesn't sing about are, are some of the things that he thinks about aren't true. But you can enjoy truth, listen to truth. Number five, I challenge you to speak truth. My mama used to say, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at, speak truth. How many of us are guilty of saying stuff like, you always do that. You never do this in your household. That kills, man. First of all, that's not even true. 
because nobody always does one thing or another, or they never do this or never do that. Saying things that are untrue are not healthy for you, emotionally, spiritually, physically. It doesn't help anybody. Speak the truth to yourself. Speak the truth to others. Some of you, some of you can say things like this when you don't perform well. I'm always a goofball. I could never amount to anything. Because why? Because somebody has spread that lie into your life over and over again, and you believed it. I had a friend here at the church not too long ago. I said, why would you, what would possess you to get in a car, drive out to the desert, and try to take your life? And he said, I felt like I couldn't be forgiven anymore. And I felt like my life wasn't worth living. And I said, who told you that? And he would go on and share about people that were destructive words, toxic thoughts. The enemy is on attack. Your enemy is sin and Satan. Your mind is the battlefield. You listen to truth. You speak truth. Years ago in Arkansas, when I was uh, in youth ministry in Little Rock, Arkansas, I was at a crossroads, and I wanted to give up in, in ministry. And I remember one night in particular, we were down uh, downtown Little Rock. It's a beautiful area. They renovated it. It's much like a... a Portland, uh, their downtown area, and uh, we were down there, my wife, my wife and I, uh, to be, we were engaged at the time, and I said, sweetie, I think I'm going to give up on the ministry thing. I'm in business school, and I think it'd just be easier, and she said, I think that's pain talking. I was in a season of discouragement and doubt and question, and she began to rattle off all the people's lives that I had impacted from parents to youth. And I remember thinking at that moment, that was a critical time when somebody spoke truth into my life and how powerful that is and the impact it makes. Be a truth teller. You speak truth into people's life. Toby Max got a song about it. Speak life. Your words are powerful. Speak only what is true. In closing, this passage of Scripture has been helpful to me to understand a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. I remember years ago with, uh, before I became a Christian, I would go home and uh, after a long night of staying out, going out at night, and then coming home as a teenager, I'd come home and I would see my mom in the back I would sneak in and she'd be praying for me. And her testimony and witness was this, is that she always read the Bible. She always prayed. She always forgave. These are powerful things. Did she always do it? Maybe there was a few times she didn't. But my, my saying this is her witness was a powerful influence on my life. It saved my life. One of the big reasons why I first became a Christian was when I said something like this. Well, if it's true for them, then it could be true for me. See, a truthful witness can save lives. Here's my challenge to you as we close out. Would you circle one of the areas that you need to focus on this week and put it into practice? So go ahead and look through your program. Maybe you need to read the truth of God's Word. My wife and I love to get together on a daily basis. On most days, you'll find us early in the morning. We're doing a Devo. We're spending 15 to 20 minutes together reading in God's Word. We go through God's Word in a period of about five years uh, when we do that together. Maybe you need to memorize truth. You could memorize Philippians 4.8, and that would be transformational, I believe, for you, memorizing God's Word. 
Maybe you just need to open your mouth and sing about truth. Maybe you just need to roll up the windows and look like an idiot as you drive down the freeway singing out loud as loud as you can. Just keep the windows up. Or what about listening to truth? What are you listening to? Or speaking truth in your household or to your kids and how fragile kids can be when a father or a mother doesn't speak truth. So I urge you to listen to truth, grow in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of truth. Jesus, you are the truth and you are the one true God. We give you great thanks for all that you're doing. I pray that we would, as believers, that we would take this Philippians 4.8 challenge and whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, that we'd think about these things. Thank you, Father, for the work that you're doing in and through um, your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.